welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 16th of October 2011, entitled Samson, the Weakest Man in the Bible, Part 2. The Bible reading is taken from Judges chapter 14 verse 6 through to Judges chapter 15 verse 11. Here's Brother Chris Mansfield. If you remember uh, from two weeks ago, was it? Uh, the title of this study is Samson, the Weakest Man in the Bible. Um, we're going to be looking at the aspects of Samson's life, um, the things that he did that honoured God, the things, the many things that he did that dishonoured God. If you remember, there's a theme that goes all the way through the book of Judges, that um, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we'll see this in Samson's life. We'll see it in the life of the, um, the Jewish people there. Um, we looked at um, how God uh, tried to call um, Samson's father, Manoah. We looked at Samson's father's name, which meant that he was uh, at rest, and that um, that had described how the, uh, the Jewish people was under the oppression of the Philistines. Um, we looked at Samson and his birth and his vow of a Nazarite, and how we looked at um, how that came from number six, how he wasn't to cut his hair and he wasn't to um, eat anything that dishonored his vow, um, and drink any strong wine, eat any grapes, touch a dead body. We looked at that. We looked at how his name meant uh, ray of sunshine or light, and now that we are the light of the world and Samson needed to be the light to the Jewish people that were um, in captivity under the Philistines. And we went all the way through and we got to about where, just after where Samson had the confrontation <clears throat> with the lion. And that is in Judges uh, 14. Um, the last uh, um, thing that we did on Samuel has been uh, recorded, so um, we haven't really got time to go much over what we did before. But we will pick up um, in Judges 14, um, verse 6. If you can stand, it's quite a long reading, but if you can stand, that would be uh, really good. <clears throat> and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, for he um, told not his father nor his, his mother what he had done. And he went down, and he uh, talked with a woman, and she pleased him well. And after a time, he returned and took her and turned aside to see a ca the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hand, <clears throat> and he went on eating, and came to his father and his mother, and he gave them. And they did eat, but he told them not that which he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father and his mother went um, unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men used to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you certainly can declare it within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty um, shekels and, and thirty chains of garments. For if ye uh, cannot declare it to me, then you shall give me thirty shekels and thirty chains of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they uh, could not in three days expand the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they uh, said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto you the riddle, lest we burn thee um, and thy father's house with fire. Um, have you uh, called us and take that which we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him, and he said, um, Thou dost not hate me, thou lovest me not, thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, and have not told it of me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and I sh shall tell it to thee. And she wept before him the seven days while the feast lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him, and she told him the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him, On the seventh day, uh, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than the lion? And he said unto them, If um, you had not ploughed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to uh, Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave chains of garments unto them, expanding the riddle, and his anger was kindled, and he went unto his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, and he used to be his friend. And we're carrying into uh, 15. 
But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber, but his father wouldn't suffer him to go in. And his father said, I verily thought that thou hastest or utterly hated her. Therefore I give her to thy companion. Is not that her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson um, said concerning them, Now I shall be blameless than the Philistines thought I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebands and turned them tail to tail and put firebands in the midst between their tails. And he um, set firebands um, and let them unto the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt both the stocks and the standing corn with the vineyards and the olives. Then the Philistines said, um, who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Tishmanite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, um, Though you have done this, yet I will be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the top uh, of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines went up, and pitched in Judah, and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they um, answered, To bind Samson, um, are we to come up to do to him as he has done to us? Then the three hundred men of Judah went up to the top of the rock of Etam, and said to Samson, Knowest not not that the Philistines are our rulers over us? What is it that thou hast done? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so I have done unto them. And we'll stop there. Okay, please be seated. <clears throat> so if we uh, we look back at, um, just slightly recap as what we did um, two weeks ago. Um, if we remember, Samson went down to this vineyard and we said that um, there's always a downward slope to sin. And uh, this is the start of Samson's downward slope to sin. Samson was told clearly within his Nazarite vow that he shouldn't eat of the fruit of the vine, eat grapes, eat raisins, and he's there and he finds himself in the middle of a, uh, a vineyard where he shouldn't have been. And uh, his mother and his father are there. The, he's, uh, we talked about how he was seeking a wife outside of the children of Israel. And um, when you're in the devil's territory, the devil has got full control and reign over you. And there, in the midst of this vineyard, there comes a lion. And we looked in 1 Peter 5, 8, how... The devil is described as a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. And we looked also at how that God graciously gave Samson the victory over this lion, and he rent the lion with his bare hands in two. And we looked at the fact that there's nothing within us that can conquer sin. There's nothing in our hands that can conquer sin. And we need to submit to the Lord. We looked in James 1, uh, 14 and 15, when it said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. We looked at the fact that um, lots of Christians misquote that verse and miss the submission to God out and to say, resist the devil and he'll flee. But the submission to God is the most important part. And um, we looked at that also. And um, we said that Samson's vow of a Nazarite was a lifelong submission. This was a unique thing with Samson. Other people, if you look in number six, could have had a separate amount of time that they separated themselves to God. But if we remember right at the beginning of chapter 13, God called him to a lifelong submission to God. And we looked at the fact that our commitment to God when we become Christians is a lifelong commitment to God. And it's not like something that we just pick up on a Sunday or um, something that um, we use when we want to use it. It's a lifelong um, submission. Um, but now, um, if we look um, at verse where... The, the carcass of the lion is left there and he, he comes back and he finds that there's honey um, in the carcass of the lion. And um, not only does he eat of this honey, he scoops it up and eats it, but he also gives some to his parents. So Samson breaks um, the veil of his Nazarite. He's touching the carcass of a dead lion but he also gives some secretly, without telling his parents where it came from, to his mom and dad. And um, this was after the marriage arrangements had been made to do with it, and the, the bees had made this honey in his body. And um, when we sin, 
it produces more sin within us, but it can also produce sin within other people. And, um, you know, I say to my kids, don't tell lies, you know, fathers die to the children. And as soon as you say those words, you remember all the lies that you've told. But you do, you know, you say to your, your children, don't tell lies. And I say to my kids, don't tell lies, always tell the truth. Because one lie, you will have to cover up with five, 10, 15, 20 lies. So one lie, don't ever go that path. And this is kind of what um, Samson is doing here. He's sinned and he's causing his parents to sin also. Honey was not an unclean thing, but where it came from was a very unclean place. And um, seed, uh, sin always breeds sin. We know the scripture is leaven, leaven's the whole lump, and it breeds sin. And, um, you know, as a father and as fathers here and as grandparents and as married fathers and ladies also, um, I mean, it was our communion service last week. And, you know, when I was looking at this, I asked myself, what sin of mine is affecting my family? And um, what sin of mine that only God knows about is affecting my family? And, you know, we can defile our family by our sin, whether that's greed, bad temper, and the list can go on into, you know, pornography, lots of things. And um, it affects relationships, doesn't it? And also, we can bring this sin, we've got our own family within our house, but we can bring that sin into the fellowship and we can be defiling the church congregation. Just as Samson kept that secret away from his parents, we can be bringing sin into the church that we might be struggling with now, I know that we do sin, but we shouldn't practice sin. We shouldn't be practicing sin. That is something that is forbidden. We fall into sin, but we shouldn't practice sin. And God calls us to holiness every single day. It's not something that we just do when we feel like it. Um, and as I've said, as Christians, we do sin. We fall into sin, but we should never practice and continue in sin. And as I've said, it affects relationships. First of all, as we've heard in the Bible study this morning, David didn't want to offend God with sleeping with Potiphar's wife. And it affects relationships first with God. That relationship with God is broke if we are continuing in sin. We, our prayers can be hindered, our relationships can be strained. So first of all, with God, it affects relationships. Secondly, with our family. And thirdly, with our church family. And we should purge out that leaven, shouldn't we? But Samson here, there's a carcass there. It's got the honey in it. He just thinks of his flesh, the sweetness of the honey in his mouth. But sweetness in your mouth can be bitter in your stomach. Sin, you know, Moses, it says that for a, for a season he tasted the pleasures of sin, but he would rather spend that time with the children of Israel in the desert. Sin tastes sweet in your mouth. But too much sin can make you sick, and it can. And that's exactly what Samson did here. He, had, he broke his vow, he gave to his, um, his parents. They didn't know that where this honey came from was uh, not a good place. They were defiled also, but un unknowingly. What sin are you doing that's affecting this congregation, unknowing, uh, that's affecting everybody? We need to really take that to God and ask the question. And it's not just about when we do communion. It's about examining yourself every single day. But there we have Samson. But Samson reminds me of Lot. If you'd have said to Lot at the beginning of his life that he would have committed incest with his daughters, he, Lot would have never believed it, would he? He would never have believed it. In the beginning, Lot was mindful of God, wasn't he? You know, and um, he would have never thought that he had sinned so much at the end of his life. But how did Lot's spiral to sin start? just like Samson's spiral sin start. First, he lifted his eyes, if you remember, to Sodom. He just, lift, he just looked in that way of sin. And we've said that Samson went down to sin. And then, so he looked in that direction. Secondly, he didn't only look, but he headed in that direction, didn't he? He actually went that way. He went down to Sodom, didn't he? Then, he pitched his tent just on the outside of Sodom so he could look at it all the time. Every time he opened his tent, he was there looking at it. And eventually he was right there in the middle. And we've got God's word to see these things, the process, how we're drawn away into sin. 
It's a slow process and sometimes it might take a brother or a sister to challenge us on these things. But thank God for his word that he shows us these things. The deeper you go into sin, the blinder you become. Lot was blind to the dangers of Sodom and um, Gomorrah, wasn't he? And Samson was blind to his sin long, long before he had his eyes plucked out. He was, he was blind to the fact of these sin. But now we come to uh, the wedding feast of Samson. That's starting in uh, verse 10 of chapter 14. But if you notice, where are, his, where are his people? Just cast your eyes down there. And where are Samson's people of the tribe of Dan? They're not there, are they? Samson is from the tribe of Dan, isn't he? Where are his people? All of his wedding um, guests are, are um, Philistines, aren't they? He's associating with the wrong people, isn't he? If you turn to Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, if you've got some fruit in a bowl on the table in your house, it takes one rotten apple to make the rest of the apple rotten. If you are around godly people, they will encourage you to be godly. If you associate with the wrong people, you'll you'll be, you'll be conformed to their image instead of the image of Christ in your brothers and your sisters in the church. And that is exactly what Samson's doing. He's going further and further and further away from his people, from his job, from his community. And all of his guests are the enemies of God, the enemies of his people. But he, he doesn't seem to be bothered at this stage. He's associating with the wrong people. And then in verse 12, Samson, he sets them a riddle, doesn't he? And he says, I'll give you uh, some money and I'll give you 30 changes of garments if you can solve this riddle that I'm going to uh, give to you. And, um, you know, a riddle, there's nothing wrong with riddles, is there? You know, um, Martha's told me one this week. She says, what's mine, but I hardly ever use it. So I'm there driving the car and I'm thinking, what's, my, what's, what's mine, but I hardly ever use it. And it's your name, isn't it? It's yours, but you hardly ever use it. And I've, I always say this one to the kids. What gets wetter as it gets dry? That's a towel, isn't it? It's you dry, but that gets wetter. So these are riddles, and there's nothing wrong with riddles. But the Hebrew word here is not that kind of a riddle. It means dark saying. It doesn't mean a riddle in a fun way. It means something that's not a, of a good thing. Um, and the reason that this riddle is a dark riddle and a dark saying is because there's no way of ever working it out unless you actually saw what had happened. There's no way of working it out, is there? You know, you could sit and you could work some riddle out, couldn't you? And you'd think, you could work it out. But this riddle, you can't, unless you actually saw the bees going into that carcass and making the honey and having sweet from the dead, you'd never work it out. So Samson here, He's doing more than what you might think as you read it. There's a dark saying going on here. And he's basically conning these people. He's conning them, isn't he? Um, now, riddle saying was common in Greek and Philistine weddings. It was common. They kind of did this as part of the wedding ceremony. But in Hebrew weddings, if you told a riddle in a Hebrew wedding, it was basically to start a fight. So we've got a mishmash of cultures here. Could Samson be going along with the Philistines and associating with them? Or is he trying to pick a fight with them? There's no way of knowing. But there is the fact that in Jewish weddings, if you say riddles in this kind of way, it, you want to start a fight. You want to start a bit of a, a rook. But in the Philistine Greek weddings, it was, it was common. These kind of riddles were part and parcel of the, uh, the whole thing. Um, now, as I was reading this, I was thinking maybe Samson had actually got a gift of being quite a astute, wise man. You know, um, when Solomon um, came to God and God said, to, you know, he said, how am I going to rule these people? And God honoured him because he asked for wisdom to rule the people first. And he says, because you've given me, because you've asked the right thing, God said, I will give you wealth and honour and respect, didn't he? And um, maybe Samson had got 
an astute mind. Because remember, he was to judge the people of Israel, wasn't he? He was from the tribe of Dan and he was to judge. And it's as if here he's using what God has given him and he's turning it into these dark sayings and dark riddles that don't honour God in any way. And it's a shame. And we, you know, we need to be careful that we don't use our gifts that we've been given from God and kind of like prostitute them in other ways that don't honour him. And he's using, Samson is using maybe the gift that God gave him to give him to judge his people, to con people out of possessions. There was no possible way that they could work out this dark sign at all. Now the Philistines were God's enemies and notice God had called Samson to fight against the Philistines. And what is he doing? He's playing stupid games with him, isn't he? He's not fighting God's battles. He's playing games with them, setting them riddles, conning them out of things. He's not fighting God's battles. He's fighting kind of his own battles, isn't he? He's kind of doing his own thing. Um, God gives us gifts and abilities, and he calls us and he equips us for his work, doesn't he? We must never use them wrongly. We should only use them to honour God. And in verse 15, um, the Philistines, because they were maybe in a position where they just couldn't work this riddle out, they threaten his wife and the father with fire, don't they? Samson's uh, wife pleads with him to tell her the secret um, within seven days, and Samson just couldn't stand the, his crying wife, and um, he gives in and he tells her the riddle, doesn't he? But if you notice in verse um, in verse eighteen of uh, chapter fourteen, it says there the last part: "If ye had not ploughed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle." Now, you know, you've, you've all read your, your Bible a lot, and, you know, sometimes things jump out at you, don't they? And this uh, kind of, like, jumped out at me. And when I said to Jane, she said, you can't say that. But I think there's something quite um, significant here. Samson, he had no respect for his vow. He had no respect for God's battles. He had no respect for his people. And here, he's basically calling his wife a cow. Isn't he? He's saying, if you hadn't played with my heifer, now I don't know whether there's some, you know, that's a nice thing in the culture of them times, but to me, he's disrespecting his wife here. He's not, it's kind of like as if he's a possession, isn't he? And he said, if you hadn't have messed around with my heifer, you would never found this riddle out. So he's even now disrespecting his wife, disrespected God, disrespected his vow, disrespected his parents. Remember, we forgot that one, I forgot that one. He, his parents were warning him not to marry outside and he said oh she pleases me in my eyes get her for me do you remember so there's a disrespect here for even his wife it's like a possession there's not as if no no love there or genuineness to him it's a bad thing to call your wife a cow you know don't ever you know there's some things that you might be able to get away with as a husband but don't ever go down that path um, it's total disrespect, isn't it? Total um, just treating her like some possession. Maybe you said it in secret and she wasn't there to hear it, but it's just a bad thing. But the point that I'm trying to make is there's disrespect. You can see the disrespect in Samson's life. Now, um, they forced the answer from um, the Philistines now, forced the answer from his wife. And they asked, say to him, you know, reveal to us this dark saying. And the thing that's so ironic here is Samson commits murder 30 times over to, to fill a promise to a bunch of uncircumcised Philistines, but he's not willing to keep a vow that he gave to God. Unbelievable. To me, that is. He's been set apart from birth to honor God. He's made this vow of a Nazarite, or the vow was given to him more from God. And he should honour them things, shouldn't he? And now he's willing to commit murder to honour God's enemies than he is to follow in God's ways. Just a, 
irony there is just unbelievable, isn't it? You know, he's willing to do that, and yet not honour God, not honour his parents, not honour his wife, not honour his people, not honour the tribe of Dan. You know, we are, we're in this world, aren't we? But we're not part of it, or we shouldn't be. There should be something about us, you know, I'm not talking about something that's crazy or something that's a bit bonkers. I'm talking about genuine Christ-likeness in us that should make us be different. And um, we should not walk in darkness, should we? We should always walk in the, in the light. And the Bible actually says that we should expose the deeds of darkness. You know, we should expose them. Um, Samson, at this point now, his sin is vast. His sin is just beyond what he can see. And God gives this wife away from him to his companion, doesn't he? And it just keeps getting worse for Samson now. But Samson just doesn't get what the problem is. He can't see it. And as we said at the beginning, you know, his eyes were still there in his head, but he was blind to his sin, wasn't he? He just couldn't see it. You know, what are we blind to? What sins are we blind to? What sins are we choosing to be blind to? You know, we need to challenge ourselves. Sin takes you further than you want to go will keep you longer than you wanted, you planned and will cost you more than you're willing to pay. His wife, who we called a heifer, has now been taken from him and given to his companion. So we start now in um, chapter 15. Now, as we said right at the beginning of the um, these studies, I have never heard anyone preach on Samson. And it's kind of like maybe it's the Sunday school class um, kind of like teaching, isn't it? You know, Samson and David and Goliath. Um, but there's so much in here that you sometimes read with a Sunday school kind of like mindset. And this is a, another one here when we get to chapter 15. You know, we've all heard the story before. and um, But there's some things here that we need to really glean from this and not read it. We don't read it in a childlike way. I think we kind of speed read it and not really digest what God is trying to say to us. So um, we come now to um, chapter 15. And um, this is the time of year when it's the time of harvest, isn't it? And that would have been in about May or June. And um, if you look in verse 1, he visited his wife with a kid. Okay, now... You could just jump over that and, you know, but we need to look at what that actually means. Okay. So Samson visits his wife with a kid or a goat. Now, first of all, I thought that was for sacrifice. You know, he's a Jewish man or supposed to be. It's for sacrifice, but actually it's not. Samson should have kept the Jewish traditions, the Jewish way of life. Um, but now he's taking on... Um, Palestinian or um, Philistine or Arabic traditions. The kid was a gift from a visiting husband. Now, Arab weddings are called Saduka, and they're like a, a marriage. Um, but most Arabs, they move around, don't they? They're nomadic. They don't stay in one place. Um, the woman, on the other hand, is, she's called like the lover or she's called um, a mistress, um, but the man is not always there. He's not always in the same place because he's nomadic. So the woman is, but he's not. And um, the man, the husband, might have many wives. He might have many lovers. They're all the same kind of meaning in the in um, Palestinian tradition. Um, but the wives stay in the one place, but the husband moves around. So um, it's kind of like the woman is a mistress in her home, but the, far, the, the husband moves around. So the giving of a kid was a, a gift, basically prior to sexual intercourse. And it was done, you give the, the gift, and then basically you can go in. And, and we can see that there, that the reason that he gave um, was to go into his wife, into her chamber, so he's taking on you know, Palestinian traditions instead of keeping to God's ways. You know, I first thought, oh, it's for an offering. But when I looked into it, 
Um, so Samson basically wants sexual in intimacy, um, and it's reflected in verse, uh, the end of verse 1, I will go into my wife and into her chamber. And in verse 2, the, the father refuses this kid, this goat, and he wouldn't let um, Samson in, wouldn't he? He wouldn't let him in. So then the father tries to amend, trying to make, make some means of what's going on, and he tries to offer um, his younger daughter to Samson instead of this other, other, you know, his original wife that's revealed the riddle. So he gives, tries to give her this other, um, his other daughter, and she's, you know, isn't she, uh, isn't she nice? It says, and because uh, the father had given his wife to his companion, as we've read. So Samson wasn't just unlucky in love. He had a problem in God in his heart, didn't he? And if we read Proverbs 4.23, you all know this um, proverb. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Samson failed to guard his heart, especially when it came to the female sex. Failure to guard your heart or results in much, much trouble. And we can see it starting here in Samson's life. We need to learn from this and not make the same mistakes. Um, so in verse 3, now Samson is now angry. And he says in verse 3, um, I will do them a displeasure at the end of verse 3. Um, the Hebrew also means I will bring calamity upon them, basically. So Samson there is angry. He's going to find um, these uh, Philistines and he's going to do them a displeasure. He's going to bring calamity upon them. And the way in which he's, he's going to do it is in verse 4 with these foxes, isn't it? So Samson there catches the foxes. But the, the Hebrew word for fox um, can also mean jackal. Now, I don't know whether they're the same kind of thing in... Um, in those places but to us a jackal and a fox are kind of like separate um now i had to look into look into this as well and foxes only gather together in small groups but jackals gather together in groups of two 200 at the most so if we look at it at that kind of um it might have actually been jackals because the amount that he had to catch um so maybe it was jackals and not necessarily foxes, but it doesn't really matter what they were. Um, but hundreds of years later, in rabbinic tradition, in the Talmud, there's a little part there that um, it says, when you're approached by a fox, this is um, not the Bible, this is Jewish tradition, just like we've got um, Palestine tradition. Um, they say, if you're approached by a fox, and the, um, the fox kind of like stands his ground, and won't turn around, it says, let that fox go back and reach, reach judgment on the uh, Philistine people because they went back on the oath of not keeping the, the wife to Samson. So maybe it was foxes. So if you look at Jewish tradition, we've got the story about the fox. But when we look at the numbers of how many had to catch, it may have been jackals. But it doesn't really matter in, um, in what we're looking at. The oath then was that he was, it was to do with, if you like, the father had promised to give this wife to Samson and Samson's um, father-in-law went back on it. Now Samson is going to basically reap judgment, his own vengeance on these crops and he's going to do it, we'll say, because the Bible says they're foxes. Now we don't know if Samson had other people helping him to catch these foxes or whether he used nets, but it could be jackals, could be foxes. So you've got to... Um, two ways there. So Samson now, he's acting like a, a juvenile delinquent, isn't he? But God uses all this for his purposes to start delivering his people from the oppression of the Philistines. Samson is fighting his own battle here, really, isn't he? But it's in the purposes of God. Psalm 76, verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. So what I wanted to point out there was even the wrath of man will praise God in God's way. 
The Antichrist is going to rise up, isn't he? He's going to be against the Jewish people. He's then going to be against the Christians. But it's all part of God's plan. You know, man's wrath is going to be kindled, but it's all going to be for the purposes of God. So Samson here is going off, if you like, fighting his own battle. But his wrath, man's wrath, is going to be used by God to start a deliverance from the, the people from the grip of the, um, the Philistines. Um, so it says there, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Now this doesn't justify Samson's cruelty or anger, but it shows that the glory and the power of God is used in all things. Um, so Samson ties the foxes together and he puts fire between them. And then Samson um, knew, obviously, that they would zigzag around within the crop. They would get from you know all the little places, um, and they would basically burn this crop down just as it was ready to be reaped in for a harvest. Um, it says that the, the shocks, which are the roots, and the standing corn—that's you know other field further along that would have been growing—and even says that there was olive um, and vineyards burnt as well. Um, so Samson deliberately struck against the Philistine economy here. Just when the field was ready to be harvested, it was destroyed. And um, in verse 6, the Philistines now, they're looking to find out who's done this. And um, they find out it was Samson. And like for like, they burn the father-in-law and the wife of Samson. God uses all this to his advantage and for the deliverance of Israel. Because of Samson's sin, it came to of great personal cost to him. If Samson had gone God's way and done it God's direction, it would have come with a blessing. But now, because he has done it his way, God's plans will always come to pass. We mess them up. God will always bring it about for his glory. So, he was disobedient, disobedient to God's way. So he, he re reaped, and, you know, his wife was burnt. The one thing that she feared when the riddle and the things were being told to her has now happened to her anyway. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, there's ironery here, ironery, uh, ironery here that the, the wife tried to avoid revealing the riddle because of fire, and now she gets burnt with fire and the father-in-law as well. Um, now in Romans 12, 19, if we want to turn there, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give peace unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Personal re re revenge is always, always a bad idea. Like-for-like -like retaliation never, never resolves the problem. It, retaliation never solves the problem at all. Now that can be gossip, that can be politicians, wars are started through vengeance. You know, vengeance is a bad, bad thing. You know, we've heard this morning that Jesus told us to turn the other cheek, love our enemies. So in Romans 12 it says vengeance is mine basically. Don't get mixed up in trying to create your own ways of avenging what you've been hurt. Much war, much disaster, hatred and pain comes from that sinful instinct to retaliate. And it always leaves, we must always leave vengeance to God because he knows best, doesn't he? He knows the motives of our heart, doesn't he? We don't. I'll give you a little, little, uh, little side story here. Um, we've been saying for a while now that we're going to get my daughter's ears pierced. And... Um, my wife had her ears pierced and uh, she had some slight complications and there was a lot of scarring tissue and some operations. So we was a bit wary of getting my daughter's um, ears pierced. So thank God for the internet. So we typed in best way to get your ears pierced. And it came up that the best place is a tattoo parlor or a um, piercing place. So there's one on our high street. So I'm going in to this tattoo parlor piercing place. Now you might have saw me and thought, oh, Chris, he's going into the tattoo parlour. But it was a genuine, I was just trying to get some advice, the best way to get my daughter's ears pierced because of the problems that my wife had. Now, you could have thought, oh, 
you know, a little bit of vengeance or a little, you know, we can we can not know the motive of our hearts, can we? To always leave, always leave vengeance to God. But Samson here, he's going to fight, he's, he's, he's creating vengeance of his own that God is going to use for his glory. But it's always going to cost Samson more because he's fighting his own battles and not doing God, going God's way. So um, in verse 7, it says, Samson said unto them, Though you have done this, yet I will avenge of you, and after that I will cease. So basically, Samson wanted to burn this crop down, and then he says, after that, I'm going to leave you alone. Once I've had my vengeance, I'm going to leave you alone. And, um, but, in, but God, nor the Philistines, are going to allow this to happen. God brings judgment on the Philistines. And in verse 8, if we look there, then the Lord of the Philistines, oh no, I'm in 16, hang on. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and he dwelt in the top of the rock of Etam. So God is not going to allow him after this to, uh, to cease. And um, in verse 8, it says the phrase hip and thigh with a great slaughter. It means a complete slaughter with vindictiveness. That's what it would read if we could read Hebrew. So there's a vindictiveness there, but it means a complete slaughter. And as Samson said, after this, um, he was going to leave them alone and he's going to retreat to this Etam, the cleft of the rock. So Samson, he does this and um, he retreats to this rock of Etam and now he's alone from his own people. Um, he's angered the Philistines and he has no one. He's totally forsaken on his own and he's backslidden, isn't he? We can see the privilege of seeing his life backslidden and he's there with no one. He's rejected his own people. He's rejected his parents' ways. He's rejected his tribe of Dan and he's avenged the Phil you know, he's angered the Philistines. He's got no one. And we know that God seeks to restore the backslider, don't we? He wants them. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 18, there's a pro if the sin brought in, the leaders of the church, there's the process of sorting that sin out. And the last one is in, kick them out. But that kicking them out of fellowship is not to cast them off. It's so they will come back. It's not like we never want to see you again. That's, it's God's way. It says go to them. Go with them with a witness. If they still don't want to hear, bring it before the church. If they still don't want to repent, cast them out for the destruction of the soul. But that's not casting them out just to leave them alone. It's like let them go. Let them have their time of sin. Hopefully they will come back. God restores the backslider. And this is what Samson is in that place. He's got no one at all. No one at all. And he's there in this rock at Etam. And we know that God says that in Jeremiah 3.22 that he wants the backslider back. He wants to draw them back. Samson's got, he hasn't got his family. He can trust no one. And at the beginning of the story, or the, the event, we said that Samson's hair in his appearance was like, do you remember, a fugitive? You know, he was, his hair was long and, you know, he couldn't cut his beard. And the vow caused him to be an outward sign of Israel's sin. But now he is like a fugitive in that mountain, he's tasting how he's seen, how he's treated God. He's separated himself from everyone and he's there. But thank God God's there, isn't he? And in verse 15, um, chapter 15, verse 9, and that the Philistines come and they pitch their tent in Judah and they sp spread themselves there, don't they? Um, now, the Philistines now, because we've said if we leave vengeance to God, God will sort it all out. But now, the Philistines want vengeance. It's never going to stop vengeance, vengeance. It's never going to stop. So now, the Philistines want vengeance for their crop being destroyed. So, they want blood. And they, they're going to try and kill Samson. So, they the pitch the tents in Judah. And they spread themselves in Lehi. And... Uh, this was close to where Samson was. The men of, Jude, uh, of Judah um, asked where they are, and the Philistines replied, to, why are you here? The men of Judah said, and we're, we said, we're here to bind Samson 
and to do to him what he's done to us. In other words, kill him. We're here to kill him. So um, they pitch their tents there and they're there to kill him. And in verse 11, the men of Judas, this is his own people, remember, they, they set off in verse 11, 3,000 strong to find Samson. The fact that the 3,000 men went was a sign of his respect, of his strength um, towards Samson. Also, the fact that the soldiers was from, his, uh, from the tribe of Judah shows just how under the oppression of the Philistines they were. They'd got to do what the Philistines had said. They'd got to go. Whatever they said, they'd got to do it. So this is a sign of how dark the oppression was on the people of uh, God. And um, it's such a shame that the, the people of Israel, they would rather obey the oppressors than obey the deliverer. Samson is still God's deliverer. We will find out at the end of the story how it all comes about for God's glory, and he does start that deliverance. But because of that oppression on them, they are willing to obey their oppressors rather than God and their deliverer. Um, so the... Um, Instead of, if you like, sending an army against the people of the Philistines that are camped there, they send an army against their deliverer. You know, the Bible sometimes is just so ironic. But the, um, when they get there, the men of Judah say, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? So they're aware that they've had to do what they've been told. And um, they're siding with the enemies of God, aren't they? They're siding with the oppressors. They should have, when they got there with Samson it, 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 on this mountainside, they should have sided with Samson and then come back and fought the oppressor on the way back. But they're not. They're doing the complete opposite. They are siding with the oppressor and going against God's deliverer. And they just want to keep that unhealthy status quo that ain't really a status quo at all. You know, now we shouldn't go out seeking to create arguments. We shouldn't go out seeking to be that weird old Christian in the workplace who deliberately gets his Bible out and makes sure everybody sees it, you know, before we put it down or them kind of stupid things that have, have do nothing for anyone. But we should not side with them when they're sinning, should we? We should not side with the oppressor, the, the world, the devil, that's the sinful thing of this world. Is it? We should never side with them. If, if it's unions, whatever it is, we should never side with them if it's sinful. But we should also not provoke them in an ungodly way. So Samson, um, they should have joined with Samson. On, on, the, on the way down, they should have uh, joined with him, shouldn't they? But they didn't. They are willing to keep this unhealthy status quo. And um, as far as Samson was concerned, Samson didn't want to be reminded that the Philistines ruled over them. He had basically had enough. He wanted to be left alone. He wanted to be nice and safe, he thought, in his backslidden state. I've had enough of the Jewish people. I've had enough of the Philistines. I just want to be left alone. Um, but God's plan was to release Israel from the grip of the Philistines. So in verse 12, instead of um, wanting deliverance from the Philistines, they bind Samson and they deliver him to the oppressor um, now Samson if you look there was concerned that they might turn on him and Samson might have to defend himself and shed Jewish blood and um, he, he, he didn't want to be forced to defend himself on the way down so um, let me just find it where I am he didn't want to shed in, um, Jewish blood so Samson agrees to let himself um, be bound after they swear that they will only take him and deliver him to the Philistines and they won't turn on him. So for once, Samson, in verse 13, he trusts God and he lets himself be bound and be delivered into the, um, the hands of the Philistines. Now when we get to 14, the Philistines... They shout for joy, and they have two reasons for shouting for joy in verse 14. Firstly, Samson was bound with no effort from them. His own people bound him and brought them to the Philistines. Secondly, it was, you know, it was his own people. 
They may have thought, this is our lucky day. Samson's here. He's bound. This is going to be easy. But God divinely enables Samson to fight. Samson was unique amongst the judges of, um, in, in uh, the book of Judges because he was God's one-man army. Others judged and commanded armies, but Samson was a one-man army. So in verse 15, he picks up um, this jawbone as he's there. It's a fresh jawbone. Now, the fresh means it was still containing sinew, you know, flesh. So it was nice and heavy. It wasn't a brittle bone. It was a big lump, you know, that he could wield around. So this bone was heavy. And Samson killed a thousand men. The Hebrew here has a kind of like poetic touch. It's not Hebrew isn't poetic how we see poet. It's like they say a phrase and then they'll repeat it in a different way, meaning the same thing. And that's how Hebrew poetry is. And um, it's got a slight touch here in um, that one way of describing it is that with a jawbone of an ass, he piled them in a mass. And that's really what it's kind of saying. So the jawbone um, would have been forbidden for um, Samson to touch, and he would have broke his veil, but God still finds, finds you know, that he still fills him with power so that the glory is God's and God's alone. And after the victory in verse 17, um, Samson calls the place Ramath Lehi, meaning Jawbone Hill. In verse 18, it says there that he thir after this great victory, he thirsts. So um, as we have seen before, Samson asks God to help him and take revenge. But now, done God's way, do you remember, he willingly went bound down. He could have brought them off at any point. He willingly went down with them. It's done God's way. And um, he now acknowledges the miracle of God here in verse 18. And after this great battle of killing a thousand men, he becomes thirsty. And God is reminding Samson here of his dependency on God. You know, when, you, when you're backslidden, we're all backslidden, if we're honest. We're, we're, we ain't forward enough as we should be. So if we ain't forward enough, that means we're backslidden, doesn't it? But you know what I mean when I'm saying backslidden, not going to church, not reading your Bible, you know, not wanting anything to do with God. You're saved, you know, nothing, God can't take you out of his hand, nothing. But you're backslidden. But you, you kind of find that you don't really enjoy church because you're backslidden. And then, once you've had your time eating the pig swill, just like the prodigal son, you'll find out that you really don't really like the world. You're just in no man's land, aren't you? You don't like church, and you don't like the world. But God restores, he wants you back, gives you that heart, and he, he puts you back, doesn't he? And, you know, you may be in that place now. You know, we all put that good British Christian front on, don't we? Everything's fine with me. If you need to talk to anyone, you know, pick your person and go and talk to them if you're really struggling because God wants you to be drawn back. And Samson now, he's willingly gone down. He's had his hands bound. He's gone down. He's killed a thousand men. God is reminding him of his dependence on God. You know, when you have such a big blessing from God, you're kind of like, whoa, you need to come back down to earth and be reminded of your mortality. Because you can, you know, you can be in a, a slightly dangerous place. But some, God is now reminding Samson that he needs to have a drink, that he's not a superman. He needs to drink. If you don't drink, you die, don't you? And he, he's basically reminding Samson of his mortality. Uh, so many times with us, we can become very low after a blessing or a victory from God. All this reminds us that we always need to depend on God for all things. So in verse 19, God gives Samson a drink. And um, had Samson been obedient to God's will all this time, God's blessing would have followed. Do it God's way, and a blessing will always follow. 
Samson named the place Enhakkori, meaning the spirit of the caller. God was calling Samson, and Samson did it God's way. If we listen to God, the caller, he will always bless us. And then in verse 20, it says that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. Now, this judge, judging of Israel was during the oppression of the Philistines, not after, because we've got different periods within the book of Judges. So it was actually within. So Samson now is in a good place. He's doing exactly what God wanted him to do, but it started with his hands being bound together, willingly doing it God's way. Now, we need to be in that position as well. You know, there's a, there's a psalm and it says, bind the, bind the sacrifice. This is off the top of my head. You'll have to, if somebody can remember this scripture, bind the sacrifice on the four corners of the altar. Every area of our life, we need to set some limits on the things that we do. You know, we are willing sacrifices. We should every day get on that altar and be willingly sacrificed to God's ways. Samson now is in a good place. He's made some mistakes. God has restored. When he got no one, God was there with him. If you're in that place, if you think, you, you know, there's nothing for me in the world, there's nothing for me in church, find someone to talk to. Pick your person and go and talk to them. Now, we've talked a lot about sin. If you're in that place where you're receiving that sweetness of sin in your mouth, we know as Christians it's going to be bitter in your stomach just like it was with Samson. You might be thinking, yeah, it's so sweet and I'm having a wonderful time. It's only through God revealing it to, to us as Christians through his word that we know sin is bitter in our stomach. And God has revealed to us in, within his word all the mess that Samson got into. And Samson should point to us how, the, how we can be in a mess through our sin. Now, as we said, Samson's name meant sunlight. Now, we know who the light of the world is for us today. We know who our deliverer is. We know where we need to come to, to be delivered from our oppressor. And our oppressor, first, is sin. We're born in sin. We're fashioned in it. We enjoy it as unsafe people. Sad to say, sometimes we enjoy it as Christians. But if you're in that place where you're not saved today, you can look at what Samson's life was like because of the consequences of his sin. He never knew that when he was going to, he looked at that woman, he went down to that valley in Timnath, he saw that woman of the Philistines. He never knew that she was going to get burned from a riddle that he'd set. He never knew that all the, all the mess that the sin caused him, he never knew. Just like we said with um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Lot, he never knew what it was going to end up like. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, will cost you more than you want it to pay, and will keep you longer than you want it to stay. We'll always do that. So we're in chapter 16 now, so we're going to continue that um, next week, I think. Um, if you need to talk to anyone today, we will show you. We'll open the Bible up. We'll show you how you need to be saved. If you're backslidden, if you just want to have a talk to someone because of sin, I could do with, you know, talking to someone about my sin. You know, we're all little mini Samsons, you know, sometimes. But the consequences of that sin, we're privileged to see what happened to Samson and the consequences of it. We don't know. We will sin and there'll be consequences from that sin. You know, when we're talking to people in our outreach, you know, your heart goes out to these people, you know, there's young mothers with three kids and the kids are uncontrollable. You know, that's a consequence of their sin. God can still help them, but it's going to be hard work for one mom or one dad to raise three kids from two different fathers or, you know, we're tainted by sin, but God can deliver us from sin. But we'll live out the consequences of that, that sin. So let's try and set our mind to God, to the light, to walk in the newness of life. You know, in Galatians 5, uh, 16, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And that's what we need to be like. We need to be walking in the spirit. And there'll be nothing in us that wants to do any sin. Oh, you know, how we, we will desire 
to walk more in the Spirit because there won't be anything in us that wants to sin, will there? So we'll leave it there um, and we'll continue next week.